What is going on, everyone? Welcome to the Ubuntu Nutrition Podcast, episode number 16. Today, I have a previous guest of the show on. His name is Evan Lynch, and he's a performance nutritionist in Ireland. Today, we have a roundtable discussion about seven things you might not know about nutrition research. This is for the general person who might come across studies or mentions of studies in blogs, newspaper articles, or on documentaries on Netflix. So sit back, relax, and listen up. What is going on, everyone? Hope you're all having a fantastic Wednesday evening. I'm just glad to get out of that intro because it took me a good 10 tries, if not more. There are cars whizzing by. There's basically like a highway outside my house, like a motorway for those in Ireland. And so sometimes a fucking motorbike will drive by and it's absurdly loud. So I have to start again. And paired with my general inability to record podcast intros without it sounding like a, I don't know, like a seduction or something like that. I always try to do this low, deep voice. So I'm trying to stop that. Anyway, so today is a very lighthearted discussion with Evan Lynch. And I mentioned him already and he'll tell you about who he is. But what we discussed today is uh, seven things you might not know about the underworld of nutritional research, right? And so before you skip this episode, because research is in the title, it's actually aimed at the very general listener, uh, especially those with no connection to obviously academia or nutritional science, right? And you're just listening um, to just improve your understanding of nutrition. Now, why is this important for you guys? Well, you obviously watch documentaries on Netflix. You obviously watch uh, or not watch, sorry, read newspaper articles, online blogs from influencers, listen to things on the radio, all regarding nutrition, right? And new trends. Now, this isn't judging because I used to do it for many years. If a article if one of these articles or uh, documentaries mention a study and give no more context, I was prone to say, oh, okay, well, this is evidence-based. They just mentioned the study. They're good. But what we try to highlight today in our discussion is like why that is not enough and why you need more context and a kind of higher level or a, a more complex filter to to spot the bullshit basically and to make your own decision an educated decision um, that's not based around a company's money-driven marketing campaigns okay Uh, because the truth is a lot of these blogs are written to increase traffic to a website where they sell products or a service so just mentioning a study isn't enough and hopefully we'll try to teach you why today but it's not going to be all negative uh, we have a bit of crack and hopefully it'll make for an easy listen it might get a tiny bit heavy but uh, that's just because we are we we kind of might i don't know lose focus for a second but we always bring it back very general so these are seven things that you might not know about nutrition research enjoy What is going on, people? This is the Ubuntu Nutrition Podcast. It's probably going to be episode number 16, but we'll see. I have Evan Lynch, not Owen Lynch, as I introduced him last time. Evan Lynch on with me. I've had him previously, uh, so you guys might recognize him if you're uh, a listener that's been here a while. If not, you want to introduce yourself for everyone, Evan? Yeah, I will indeed. Uh, So obviously, my name isn't Owen. the last episode I was on here, I was talking about female-specific health, so things like reds, amenorrhea, menstrual dysfunction, things like that. So if you haven't listened, do have a listen. Uh, Bias as I might be, I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, I suppose about the work I do, I, I specialize working mostly with endurance athletes, uh, high-level ones at that. So I do, I do a lot of work one-to-one with some Olympic marathoners, race walkers couple of professional cyclists and some elite triathletes, rowers, jumpers, uh, some weightlifters as well, and even the odd semi-professional rugby player. 
so that's that's kind of that's kind of my jam uh find stuff really interesting like to help people and uh, yeah i've been working with paddy here for the last few weeks on a project that uh, i think he might shine some light on uh today so yeah that's 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 me cool 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 yeah evan said i should introduce it because i have a good podcast voice so hopefully <laughs> other people feel that way anyway right so the project that he's referring to is called research bites and i'll get a nice little plug in here to start it off and um, because to be 100 percent transparent that is the reason that we're hopping on today is to kind of get what we're doing out there uh, to the listeners because it can definitely be beneficial so research bites is a online platform that it's a subscriber-based platform where you subscribe and you pay a monthly fee of 11 euro or the equivalent in pounds or dollars. doesn't matter where you are. It's online. You can access it anywhere. And basically, once a week, Evan and I, we both break down a study in the performance nutrition sphere in a two to three page PDF. We put it up, you download it, and you can take a read of it. They're written very, very, uh, they're like, generally written for the lay population. So people who aren't anywhere near nutrition, academia, or science-related fields, you don't have to be. That's, that's the target audience for us. And so in that way, we feel it's very novel, um, and we feel that it can be of great value to any athletes at any level, as Evan says, to coaches uh, of any sports that are looking to upgrade their tool chest and to be able to speak to athletes in some way about nutrition not that we're saying it's a qualification for providing fucking nutrition recommendations to your athletes but it would help you maybe work in tandem with the nutritionist uh also students of sports science um any nutrition courses food science maybe physiotherapy and or just even individuals who sorry it's the problem with recording at home individuals who are very interested in the area of sports nutrition so yeah, it's up there, it's live, and we have the link in our bios. It's called research-bytes.com if you wanna just go straight to the website. It's a very easy process, you just sign up, it's 11 euro a month, and you get access to eight articles a month. So we think it's immense value. Do you wanna add anything to that, Boyo? Yeah, I will, I suppose. The whole point was, you know, between us, have nearly 15 years of being in college studying nutrition and nutrition related fields. But in practice, you know, we have a few years of practice working one to one with people between us too. We commonly get these misconceptions people have. People aren't just misinformed, they're ill informed, confused, and constantly hitting contradictory information. And it's so much so that it's a case of paralysis by analysis for most or just gripping onto the first thing they find and running with it. And, you know, there, there needs to be, or there, there is a requirement for some sort of easy, accessible resource for people that they can just get their fingers on up-to-date, objective, fact-based nutrition breakdowns. And that's essentially what Research Bites is. It's our slogan, putting nutritional science into your fingertips so you're not running around confused having bulletproof copies, doing fasted sessions and giving yourself type 2 diabetes, you know? Um, that's the whole point. And it's not just, we're not just running with stuff that we personally are interested in. As in fairness, we could be considered as quite nerdy and niche. You can actually request topics. So yeah, it's, it's probably going to be driven by the, by the user base to a certain degree. So you can, you can learn about what you want to learn about. It's our job to deliver the info right to your phone laptop or tablet absolutely very well put um yeah i thought that was good so yeah we have a, a bit at the bottom you can literally just find out what you or put in what you want and we'll hopefully direct some articles towards that what you said there about um the bulletproof coffee and things it's funny that when when these trends come in people follow them but they follow them without having any actual idea of like the mechanisms of why they're a trend. Like how do these actually work? Mm -hmm. Like they know Bulletproof Coffee was a trend and it does something, it increases fat burning, but they have no idea what the actual 
empirical basis is behind that or the scientific basis is. So what I suppose we're trying to do is fill that little gap in so that if you can fill that gap in the why, right, you can then disseminate whether a thing is a trend, some spoofy money-driven trend or actually something that could be beneficial to you. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. So what we're going to do is we are going to go down through seven. So that's our little plug. Uh, and then on that note, we're going to just do a little podcast about seven things you might not know about nutrition research, or most of these things actually apply to research in general, uh, but we'll obviously use nutritionally related examples. So with that said, Evan's going to hit one. I'm going to hit one. Evan's going to hit one. I'm going to hit one. And we're just going to go down until we hit seven. And yeah, we'll just have a little chat. Keep it nice and casual. Mm-hmm. Did you want to take us away to start? Yeah, I will indeed. Um, like, you know, theoretically, anybody can just Google, you know, how many spuds do marathon runners need to probably find an article on carb loading requirements or carb, carb needs for, for day-to-day training. But just reading a study on PubMed or wherever you're getting your, your research, unless you understand the context behind it, unless you understand methods they used unless you understand the body of research around it you're not going to know okay was this paper done logically do i understand the relevance do i understand the results and do do i have the critical ability to see if this is an anomaly or if this is a little bit uh, unexpected and if it is will i even have the self-awareness to be somewhat skeptical so what we find is people just tend to take they don't even read the paper actually most of the time. They just read the title and maybe two lines of the abstract. I used to be a different when I was when I started college in, in exactly. the first year. I just read the conclusion of the abstract and then down the reference like, yeah man, I read I read my research. But if you actually queried me, I wouldn't have had a breeze. Like genuinely, yeah, I was off for it. Um, that can be a problem because it can it can lead you to seriously misinterpret. Or, or run away with uh, what you think the paper is about. And it, you, it can leave you in ill-informed. So a good example of it was with COVID. You know, some journalist in the sun, I think, just kind of read a paper where they looked at vitamin D deficiency and upper respiratory tract infections. And uh, they actually cited it in the, in the article that was in the paper. But how they interpreted it was vitamin D can cure COVID. That was the title in the paper that millions of people read. And that was one of the sparks of the mass confusion. So like, clearly you should, if you're listening, be seriously considering the fact that there's a bit of a, you know, a, a, a miscommunication there or a, or a lack of an actual link. Um, because vi- vitamin D cannot cure COVID. Just put that to bed there and then. But that, that's a great example of someone who read a paper they had no idea about the background physiology. They clearly have no idea how to read a paper, probably didn't read the methods, or they would have seen that people who are deficient more likely to get uh, you know, your, your colds and flus. Um, they would have seen that COVID probably wasn't on the things that were measured. It probably wasn't even mentioned in the paper. And um, they would have just had a bit of, a, bit of an awareness to, to say, that's probably not a great conclusion to make here definitely not going to be spreading to the masses. I've gone a bit long-winded there, but, you know, you get no. the point. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so reading is not enough. You have to have the understanding behind it to put it into context, to be able to simplify it and to critically assess it. So that's, that's why, you know, myself and Paddy did team up, because we actually have that knowledge between us that we can do this and bring it to everyone else. Um, yeah, so don't don't just take articles at face value or title value. You know, it's uh, it's a bad idea. Yeah, and like that's why we did it, like you say, because people might might see what we're doing with the platform, not to put another plug in, but and they might say, well, why would I spend eleven euro a month on this when I can actually just go read papers myself? You can, you can, but I'll say with confidence right now, there are aspects of, pay, of studies that me and Evan have 
done several years of education to learn and just dissect them and, and filter them, you know, the bad from the good, the valid from the invalid, maybe, based on those, those tools. Uh, and then the other thing I want to mention is when you talk about abstracts, right? So think of an abstract as the advertisement of a study. So for people, I call them Google Scholar Warriors, who they have an idea, right? <laughs> they go onto Google Scholar, type in the study, they get the abstract. The abstract is always going to show you the most flamboyant or, I don't know, Jesus, flamboyant is not the right word. Um, the most interesting. Noteworthy. Yeah, noteworthy parts of the study, right? And like, we know that might not have been the primary, secondary, or even tertiary outcome of the study. That might have been a very exploratory finding, which means they might not even have statistical relevance. And it's still, they might, have, they might not have registered the study as that. It's, they can pretty much do what they want with an abstract. And it's to try and get readers, it's to try to get the, the article published. So if you're someone that looks at just a 200 word abstract, and then you're writing your articles or your blogs, a study found that it's a problem. So we don't advise people who are not studying research to just go and read research, right? We advise you to learn how to read a, re read a study maybe, you know, work with people like us um, or go to people that you trust. So whether it's on Instagram or people's websites or their blogs, follow people that you trust um, that you know have the ability to break research down uh, into practical understanding or steps. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Important. Important. Yeah. Okay. So number two is, um, so I suppose number one, the thing you didn't know was we don't advise people to go re-research. So that's number one. <laughs> we advise people to follow people that can Break down research, and that's not us making like that's not us telling people they're not they don't have the ability or they're not smart enough to read research. We're just saying that it'll come with confusion or misinterpretations that could lead to you adopting mal or bad habits. Okay, number two. Sorry, yeah, I wouldn't represent myself in court. You know, <laughs> that's good, man. That's good. Oh shit, I like that. Do you like that? <laughs> Do you just come up yeah, with that? I or is that something you said? Yeah, wouldn't. Yeah. No, no, no. Well, it is something I said, but just there. I wouldn't do it. It'd be a bad idea. I wouldn't have a clue what I was doing. Yeah. I'd interrupt the judge. You know, I, I'd wear the wrong clothes. Probably be in the wrong room. <laughs> you know, object to things I can't object to. Yeah. The same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I like that, man. I like so, that. Point, point number two. Uh, point number two. So a lot of... You'll see when you read blogs, when you read uh, newspaper articles, a study found that, right? A study. And then I, I feel like some people, I did before I went into or, you know, my master's degree. I just took study as, oh, this, okay, a study did it, so it must be official. But what people don't know is there's, there's a lot of different types of studies. So, and I think we put a post up on Research Bites recently about this, that there are, there are a thing called randomized control trials where, or intervention trials where they actually will take a group of people, a sample of people, and they will put something in, whether that's a supplement, whether that's an exercise condition, whether that's a placebo, and they'll watch the effect that that had on those people. They'll test them before and they'll test them after. So that's an intervention trial. Then they have things which are observational trials, which they just take a massive population or sample of a population, and they'll just observe some characteristics in them and link them to maybe a disease. So if we're, trying to, if we're trying to look at vitamin D status and the effect it can have on uh, cancer risk, they will look at, and the way they collect vitamin D, they use a whole different variety of methods. And that's important to know as well or to look at. And they'll just make a relationship or an association between vitamin D status and cancer risk. And there's obviously a lot of problems with those because there can be other factors that fed into maybe cancer risk. You know what I mean? I can't remember the example you used in one of your articles in a in research place, but maybe you can go into that. Uh, and then the other types, well, there's the other type is that I want to mention is a meta-analysis and systematic review. 
where they'll take a bunch of intervention trials, which is the first one I mentioned, and they'll summarize them. So researchers will have to adopt a very systematic process and collect all the available studies looking at a specific supplement in a specific group of people. And they'll like summarize all that using a, you know, complex statistical methods and they'll get a result that it's kind of, you can believe that more than just a single trial because that single trial in a, in a specific group of people could have been subject to a lot of different uh, confounding factors. So they're the three I kind of want to mention just, and just to get the point across that when you see a study found that or a 2018 study, what the fuck does that mean? A study is me going out and giving a questionnaire to my friend. That's a study technically. So make sure you just find out what the study is. But yeah. 100%. The, the example I think was the sugar article and um, the, the title, it's kind of, the way they titled this was sugary beverages, something, 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 obesity. So most people read that and they're like, aha, I knew it. Orange juice makes you morbidly obese. And that's it. They're, that's the whole takeaway. And what I disagree with about those correlationary studies are, you know, if you're looking at obesity, be well aware of the fact that, yes, okay, if you're drinking a lot of sugar beverages, there's probably a good chance that you might not eat your vegetables. You mightn't be as active as people who are more conscious and make better, better food choices like non-sugary beverages or like herbal teas or just plain water. You might also have a terrible diet. You might have a family history of obesity, whatever. But that sugary beverage in isolation isn't going to be the sole driving factor in you having a, a, you know, a calorie surplus unless you literally drink like five, six liters a day and sit down all day. It's almost impossible to over, over consume sugary beverages alone um, to, to gain weight. You know? they're, they're missing the point. And I think studies like that demonize foods. And just because something is correlated does not mean it's, uh, it's causal. So I think uh, one of the examples I used to explain it was if you had, let's say, in Ireland, you're locked on your furniture salesman, your shop closes down, so you don't sell as many armchairs as you used to. You could technically correlate a decrease in armchair sales with an increased risk of COVID. You know, you could do that. <laughs> everything is car. Everything is correlated, but you know, yeah. um, you could you could correlate the amount of times I say, "Well, how are you getting on with what day of the week it is?" And you could find that I might say it more on a Monday because I'm, I call more people on a Monday, um, or whatever. But yeah, just because it's correlated does not mean it's causal. Very important thing to distinguish. And if you're looking at types of studies, then as well. Studies are based on, like the study hierarchy is based on pharmacology, like the drug hierarchy. And it's, it's easy to do that with drugs because you either take paracetamol or amoxicillin or you don't. It's not something you naturally find in your diet. So you have like an exposure versus an non-exposure, but you're, not, you're never going to get someone who has a zero, zero exposure to like vitamin D or vitamin A or sugar. You know, they're always going to have some. So you can never truly compare the thing to nothing, you know? Uh, it's not as clean as that. So I think something like a randomized controlled trial or an observational study, um, they're really the best, in my opinion anyway, for, for nutrition-related uh, research uh, deductions because one of the articles on vitamin D, the problem with it was, whilst it was a meta-analysis, looking at vitamin D intake and muscle strength, their um, inclusion criteria didn't uh, even think about the vitamin D status of, of all the people taking part. So of all the people they assessed, I think it's something like 80% of them had either vitamin D insufficiency or a severe deficiency. And if you supplement those guys with anything, of course you're going to see like drastically different results those guys aren't a healthy population and they're not really representative of a normal athlete population. So straight away, that study should never really happened. Um, completely inappropriate, inappropriate um, study demographic. So I suppose to put it into layman's terms, it will be like, 
trying to see how, like how, how people improve in training, but you only include people who are sick and bedbound in hospital in your, in your study. That's a crap example. God damn. No, 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 no. Be, you, could, you could be like, you, no, you could say, look at how training, and I actually just recently looked at a study like this, uh, how protein supplementation helps uh, muscle gains in resistance training, but the population they looked at had never trained before. So of course you're going to see oh, fucking yeah. huge gains because they've never trained. Yeah. They came in baseline untrained. Yeah. I mean, supplement a group yeah. that are regularly trained. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll jump on to the next point. Just one second um, before you do, because um, yeah, just on that, it's so funny that you, just before we, you were talking about correlation isn't causation. I remember when I was studying sports science and we've talked about him before, Brian Carson. He told us, we went into the lab and we were doing some uh, resistance training exercise or something. And he said, this is always important to remember, guys. You know what the number one, uh, or sorry, not the number one, one of the strongest predictors of early mortality is. It's this thing here, right? Hand grip strength. I'm just doing it while I'm sitting here, right? Now, oh, yeah. And then he says, does that mean if I tell my grandmother to go away and start doing, you know, these fucking things, she'll be fine? It's not. The reason it's linked to early mortality is because those who have a strong hand grip are probably more physically active. They probably have better nutrition. Do you know what I mean? They're just in better health. But this is one of the tests. Yes. Um, so that's just yeah. another, another a vivid example. But finally, just before I move on, so what, I'm trying to what we are trying to summarize here is there's different types of studies and not all studies are created equal. Think about that, that study you mentioned, vitamin D supplementation. They didn't, even, they didn't even look at vitamin D status as a, like a selection criteria. These people come in basically insufficient, uh, and then they look at it. Compare that to a study where a randomized control trial where they gave vitamin D supplementation, they had everyone's baseline values, very tightly controlled, and then they looked at the, at the results. Both of those in a newspaper article would be listed as in a study, in a 2018 study. Yeah. So just think about yeah. that. When you read a blog article that says in a study, they could be vastly different, vastly different. Always be skeptical, as you said. Definitely. Yes, yes, indeed. Anyway, you're up. That's two, number two. Come <laughs> okay, yeah. Good luck. Thinking. Good luck, 25 minutes. We're getting there. Fuck's We're getting there. <laughs> so, and point number three then is that not all journals are created equally. So, you know, if you're looking at something like the British Journal of Sports Medicine, that's a pretty big one or the Journal of International Sports Science and Nutrition Society. That's another humongous one, and a lot of prolific researchers will be published there. But not all journals, they require... Not all journals require peer review. So basically, let's pretend I'm doing a PhD and I get my thesis out there. Usually, what would happen is it would be sent off to a bunch of people who are experts in that field to look at it, scope through it, point out flaws, question it, critically analyze it. And that's a sign that, okay, this is like an honest journal, you know? Um, but that process doesn't always happen. And as I was saying, you can pay simply a fee to get your article published if you want. I don't know the names, names of the journals that do that, but that is the thing that happens. Um, there are some journals that have low impact factors and we have them on our research bytes articles. When we, when we do an article breakdown, we do the impact factor of the journal it came from. So the, inf the impact factor basically is a measure of how relevant or how much of a big deal that paper was that the, the journal came from, or the, how big the journal is that the paper came from even, God damn it, getting, uh, Jungle here, um, but some less popular publications are simply easier to get into. You know, there's there's not the demand there, so they're almost more willing to accept lower quality stuff. And I think you had an example here about a Lex Friedman study. Did you? Oh yeah. Oh, sorry, I thought you were going to talk about it. Basically, um, <laughs> he is. A, I'm pretty sure it's Lex Friedman. 
it might not be, but I was watching a Joe Rogan episode and this guy came on and he's not, I don't think he's actually necessarily a researcher, but he wanted to prove that there's different journals that are very biased. And so what he did was him and a the team, they wrote, I think it was 15 to 30 completely fake articles. Like they just made them up out of, out of blue air. And it was a whole yeah, thing. Yeah. It was a whole, it was a whole thing. And not only did he get published, most of them, one of them won an award. It won like this massive award, right? And it was basically, it was just something I won't get into because it it's like something political um, because he knew the journal was on a certain side when we're talking about politics. And he knew that this would be provocative enough for them to publish it because they had other motivations mm-hmm. than actually getting the science out there. And that's the really, really disturbing thing. Um, now, look, I don't know about you. I'm not published. So I, it's easy for me to sit here and talk about how journals might be biased. Obviously, there's a lot of journals out there that are fantastic. And they're, they're very, very, they put a lot of attention and care and standards into their publications. But the truth of it is that there are just some that don't. And then you mentioned peer review. Basically, for those that, you don't, that don't know what peer review is, my sister actually peer reviews articles and her uh, partner does as well. He's on a committee. Basically, that is when there's a third party uh, panel or board that will take the article and they will assess it and they'll go through it. And basically, it's like, it's like if you think about a simpler version of it when you were in school and you would give your, your essay to a person sitting next to you and they give you theirs. And you basically just go, it's a third party that's not necessarily involved in it. Um, and that's peer review. And a lot of journals are, and a lot of journals aren't. So in one of our reading research articles in Research Bytes, we say if just to look at the, the journal and assess whether it's a trustworthy, reputable one, see if it's peer reviewed, right? And if you can't find that, usually you'll always see it, but just by typing in the journal name on Google, it'll always say peer reviewed journal. If you can't even find that, just kind of look at the citations or how popular or kind of like how much of a governing authority it is. If you find one that barely has a website that has a couple of publications, it seems a bit all over the place. The articles aren't very streamlined or focused. Then, you know, they might've just been very, very open to have whatever article. Cause the fact of the matter is some journal, me and Evan could sit here right now and we could write. Are you still there? Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Because the fact of the matter is, me and Evan could sit here and write an article, right? And make it up out of blue air, thin air, thin air, not blue air. And uh, it, it might get published in one of these, you know. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're laughing. See? Exactly when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> you have to edit this one, mate. Uh, I don't want to, man. I'm sounding very, uh, very heated here. I don't want to be like that. Okay. All right. So, okay. The fact of the matter is, some of these, or me and Evan could sit here and make up an article, pretend that we we did it, submit it to some of these, you know, lower ranking journals. They probably wouldn't ask for some evidence that this was actually even fucking conducted, right? Never mind registered. And there's a chance they might publish it. Now, that is a minority of journals, obviously, a very small minority, but they're there. They're out there. So with that said, that's number three, and that's journals are not all created equal. Do you have anything else to add to that? Not really. No, it's just... It's just a fact all by itself, you know? Yeah. It speaks yeah. for itself. Absolutely. Yeah. So right now we have number one is reading research is not enough. Um, we don't just recommend everyone to go read research. A study isn't just a study. There are, very, there are multiple different types, and it's important to know what study was conducted for the question being asked. And then number three is journals are not all created equal. Okay, so number four is uh, you can find studies to affirm every belief or idea you have. And this is something that Evan said, so I'll just start it off very, I'll just put a little bit on it. Um, 
going back to the Google Scholar Warriors, if you have an idea, and I, I remember a very specific example, me and my friend when I was in sixth year, we used to go out after training, after basketball training, we used to go swim in a beach. In the middle of winter, we used to swim in the freezing cold water. And I was like, this has to be good for you. This has to be fucking good for you. So I go home naturally and I go onto the website. I actually didn't know about Google Scholar then. I went onto Google and I typed in cold showers and are beneficial for muscle recovery or whatever. Didn't find anything, kept searching. Finally, I find an article that affirms my belief. And I go away thinking, and I go away and I probably went to the school that day telling all my friends to go fucking into the sea, swimming in cold water, right? We obviously know cold water immersion therapy might be beneficial, right? But anyway, I'm just saying that you can find studies to affirm. If you look hard enough, you can always find a study to affirm your hypothesis. Um, but yeah, well, take it away. Here's one I get. I, I worked with some elderly people. Uh, it was kind of like a gym for older people. It, it did some cardiac rehab stuff. And I was just doing some nutrition support there. <laughs> Different conversations than you would have with athletes. But I genuinely had clients who believed smoking wasn't bad because their neighbors, neighbors were able to walk to the shop and go to mass and bingo, and they smoked like trains. That's, that was reaffirming. They didn't even Google it. They were just like, she's not dead, so it can't be bad. And nothing could refute that for them. That's just a fact. That's, a, that's an irrevocable fact for them. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, you, you'll find anything to support your beliefs because your beliefs are your own. You know, you identify with your beliefs to a certain degree. And it's hard to be objective and to maybe think, maybe my beliefs are wrong. That's not a pleasant thing to do unless you're faced with undeniable proof to the fact. Um, but yeah, that's one reason why a lot of people will uh, end up in what's called, there's actually a philosophical term for it, it's called a filter bubble. Let's say you're a big keto head. You are only going to Google things about ketogenic dieting and things relevant to ketogenic dieting. So you become an expert in that, but nothing else. So it's all you know. It's kind of like um, a Dunning-Gruger effect almost. You're a big fish in a small bubble of research and it's all you're ever exposed to. So, you know, of course, your beliefs are going to be affirmed, reaffirmed and reassured, probably echoed amongst the other people you find in that domain then, you know? Absolutely. Filter bubble. Didn't it's everyone always call yeah. that? Nice. It's very true. It's very true. It's a good, it's a good way. Yeah, it's a good way of um, coining it. You yeah. can see it on Facebook, like all yeah. the different filter bubbles, what they, uh, when they collide with each other. Plant-based versus carnivore guys. I know, I know people in both camps. They're both, you know, flawed to the same extent, um, and they're both usually quite divisive when they when they interact. Um, but they always miss the point that moderate everything is the way to go, and no one likes that really ever. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure the thing not. about that is as well. So filter bubble, I love that term, but you'll always see just an example you give plant-based versus carnivores. If they're having this debate, all of them are presenting mm -hmm. the articles that support the hypothesis at each other, but none of them are looking at. So they're even in a smaller filter bubble that you'll often see these people, these proponents, they're wielding or equipping the articles that support their hypothesis and refusing to look at the ones that don't understand why those don't is it an actual is there a reason or was the study is there some other random reason that this didn't support the benefits of a plant-based diet or you know what i mean so mm -hmm. yeah cool okay. number four you can find studies to affirm every belief or idea you have number five negative findings and unpublished studies and data. So let's say you're a pharmaceutical researcher working for a company who are trying to sell a drug and you do a study that says your drug is shite. Are you going to publish that or does that end up being a doorstopper that never sees the light of day? If there's millions of euro on the line, probably the, uh, the latter. The same happens in all domains to a lesser degree. Um, peer or not not even just peer-reviewed articles but negative studies are much less likely to be published you know 
things that find no um, no correlation, no result, nothing of significance. You know, to, to a certain degree, people might think, what's the point of that? But it's, it's really important that you, ha- that you know what doesn't work alongside what does. Um, a good example of this, <laughs> people who wear lucky socks on race day, is it really adding to your performance or is it just like a, a thing that you think works? And then because of the placebo effect, well, there you go, you feel a little bit better, so it works. Probably no actual mechanism, though, you know? Um, same kind of thing. I know the placebo effect can have actual effects on you, um, but, you know, you get what I mean. Um, the only things you see on the internet are things that researchers wanted people to see. Just, there's lots and lots of stuff just hiding in university drawers and shelves and bookcases or probably just being uh, used to fuel a few uh, winters fires you know yeah yeah Yeah. um yeah that's that that's another one it's there's a lot of research out there that hasn't been published showing no fun no results unfortunately Um, and if we just have positive results all the time it's very hard to see to get an overall picture um, the example I'll give is this might be a controversial one for some people, but when you look at all these people who uh, are very famous now and they came from nothing, right? I've heard this on the I've heard this from someone before. There's a lot of people out there in a very bad situations who also came from nothing, right? So grinding all the time, or sorry, coming from nothing. I think this is the example they gave: coming from nothing and then. It doesn't give you this extra motivation all the time that will bring you to superstardom because there's plenty of people that went through that and went the other way, right? And this is not me saying you shouldn't grind and have hope and stuff like that, but we see a lot yeah. of pretty much everyone, all these famous people that we know, they always have a great story. Like, I, you know, you rose up from nothing. We came from, I had all this motivation. You don't hear about the stories of the people who didn't, you know, didn't rise up. So, yeah. And that's the same with studies. You always see the studies that found the positive finding, but you don't necessarily hear about all the studies that don't. You know? Like if you go through any journal, any journal publication, you'll find very few studies saying protein supplementation had no effect. You will find some, but you won't find a lot. You'll find a lot more of protein supplementation aided or enhanced or benefited. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Take everything with a pinch of salt. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, number six. So number five is negative findings and unpublished studies. Uh, and just as just on the tail or the end of that, if a company has funded a study, so if a company has put money or provided the supplement that they're using in a study. Sometimes, if it's, a, if it's completely funded by the study, they can actually, if it's within their right, they can actually prevent the publication of that study, especially if it was done completely. So some companies have just internal research divisions where the researchers are working for them. Take Coca-Cola mm-hmm. or something. I'm not saying that they do this. I'm saying like someone that big. So if researchers are working for a company that big, the company aren't going to let them publish studies that go against you know what i'm saying go against their uh, their brand or whatever so that's also important to remember um okay so number six last two here now number six applying findings to the real world is not easy and this is because it's going back to the idea that when you read a blog and it says a study found that who was the study done in what population what sample of people right uh, what was the nature of the diet supplement or the condition so take an exercise regime for example was it strength training like if you see a study that exercise promoted mental health was it strength exercise was it uh, running aerobic was it stretching was it yoga you know so it's very important to look at the specifics Uh, another example is back to evan's vitamin d article what was the nutrient status or the nutrition status of participants prior to the study right if someone comes in untrained Exercise is obviously going to benefit them more so than people who are regularly trained. If people come in insufficient in vitamin D, 
of course, vitamin D is going to have a larger effect. So that's, yeah, mm -hmm. applying findings to the real world is not easy, and we can help you with that. Here's a good example. And this isn't actually a research by its articulate, but it probably will be after I say this. Um, I work with a lot of athletes, so 400 meters, 800 meters, uh, guys who would use lactic acid buffers. Everybody is crazy about beta alanine, mm. you know? Oh, beta alanine is unbelievable, it's class. It made me better, it made me stronger. There's loads of research there, and there is. But it's a lactic acid buffer. Do you know what else is a lactic acid buffer? Sodium bicarbonate. And if I'm looking at being like pragmatic, to supplement with sodium bicarbonate, it takes about 120th of the time, and it's about 120th of the price. So if you take an athlete to do sodium or to do sodium bicarb properly, it's like for one or two days before your race and small dose really easy to do. Beta alanine is like a 28 day thing and it's pretty big doses. There's a lot, there's a lot involved, you know, to get the maximum ergogenic potential out of it. So if I'm weighing that up, I have two lactic acid buffers. Both of them have evidence behind them. I'm going to pick one over the other just because of the, the methodology required and the protocol required to, to have that beneficial effect, you know? Um, so that's, that's one example of what we try and do at the end of all the articles is to bring it back to layman's terms. Like, okay, here we did an article about beta alanine. Beta alanine is great, but it's kind of a pain in the hole to use. You could do this instead and get the same result. That's much more important than saying, oh, I read a study on beta alanine. Like, good for you. You can make your life harder if you want, but here's an easier way to do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Cool. So that's number six. Applying findings to the real world is not easy. And then number seven, bye. Number seven, man. We're there. We made it. Let's see. So, this is you, right? Yeah. This is you. No, this is number seven. This is number seven, yeah. Yeah, go on, so. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> Sorry. I did number six, you fucking dope. <laughs> what happened? It's because you. Huh? I had spent a minute talking, so I felt like I did. Anyway. <laughs> so, I can edit all this out, man. Right now, we feel like it's shit, but it'll sound fine. It'll sound fine. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. So, moving on to number seven, we, uh, we made it. People will interpret things based off their own lived experience. You hear the term bias a lot. So people will hone in on, oh, researcher bias, publication bias, selection bias, blah, 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 blah. The most biased part of the study is the fucker who reads it. So if, if you read, let's say you are um, someone who doesn't believe in processed food and you go back and read that sugar article we talked about, you're going to really vibe with the fact that they suggested or hinted at the slightest correlation to sugar causing obesity. You'll be delighted that that study said that, even though it's only correlation. You might think, yeah, you know what? Sugar is the worst. Sugar is the devil. And I 100% believe this with all my heart. And now I'm going to go Google how does sugar cause obesity and then share that on Instagram or something like that. Whereas, let, let's say you're someone you're you're a nutritional researcher or you're a dietitian and you read that you think hmm, okay fair enough it could be part of the puzzle but there's much more to it i'm not going to um redefine how i look at calorie balance and all the, the fundamentals of physics just because there's a correlation between people who drink this and how much they weigh you know your your interpretation will cause you to react differently to a set of results that's really really important because you can mis-extrapolate, misinterpret, uh, and then misinform others. And yeah, that's, that's again, one of the whole points of research bites is to make that almost impossible. So make it impossible for you to fuck up interpreting a study. You know, that's, that, that should be our slogan, actually. That should be our slogan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's really good, man. I think that's actually the best point. I think that's the best point because it's so hard when you hear some crazy finding from your friend or someone you follow to not, even me, like 
and I, I'm sure with yourself, sometimes when a study comes out showing this, it's hard not sometimes to be like, oh, fuck, maybe I should change this. But like, put a pause, yeah. take a break. That's just one piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I like that. It was good. It was very good. Cool. Yeah. So, going through them real quick. Uh, reading research is not enough, number one. There are different types of studies. Number three, journals are not all created equal. Number four, you can find a study to affirm every belief or idea you have. Number five, negative findings and unpublished studies are out there. You just can't see them. Uh, applying findings to the real world is not easy. Number six. Number seven, people interpret things based on their own lived experience. So with that said, if you have any questions regarding uh, anything research related, reach out to either one of us or head to our Research Bytes on Instagram, which is at Research Bytes. Our website is www.research-bytes.com. Evan couldn't lock down the the one without the dash. Some fucker took it. was it. actually gone. I can imagine. Gone. Yeah, yeah, it was sickened. We could have done .org, but I didn't ah. want to do that. Nah, .com ah. is better. .com is better for yeah. sure. So yeah, that's it. Evan, man, thank you very much for coming on. And we might do this again in a little while, a more focused one. Maybe a little um, yeah. series on research-related things. Yeah, yeah. We might do the odd study breakdown. Absolutely. Just actually talk up through it yeah that would be cool i think so too journal so. Cool. yeah um yeah, yeah. i'm crack i'm crack yeah i have to i have to go uh make sure there's a baby that is still asleep now so i'm on night duty again man cool cool he's doing the uh entrepreneur daddy lifestyle <laughs> some crack <laughs> i just it is you just don't ever sleep that's it you know that's, that's it. it's not hard just pure sleep day that's all. That's all it is, Pat. Yeah. That's all I had to say. Oh, man. Stop. Anyway, we'll say goodbye. So thanks uh, so yeah. much for listening. And thanks, Evan, for coming on. Cheers, man. I'll see you there. So there it is. Hope you enjoyed it and got a bit of a laugh out of our mishaps. Just quickly wanted to let you know if you are interested in the platform or checking it out simply go to research-bytes.com or our instagram at researchbytes we break down eight research studies a month two each week but when i say studies they're two-page pdfs that we fill with practical takeaways and we speak to you guys not to we're not speaking very sciencey or using a lot of scientific jargon we write very very plainly and our goal is to give you information that you can act on but you also understand why you're doing it okay and that's the whole that's the whole goal or that's our vision and if you're listening to this podcast all you have to do is type in the code paddy20 or evan20 and you'll get a 20% lifetime discount. So that's 20% off the monthly cost of 11 euro or whatever that is in dollars or pounds. And that's it. If you want any information or you have any questions, just simply reach out. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.